This time our children go to children's church and uh, they'll be taught by their teachers and we're excited about what they'll be learning this morning. How many of you ever heard the question this uh, December, are you ready for Christmas? Anyone ask you that question? I've had that asked me numerous times already and usually when they ask that question, are you ready for Christmas, it presupposes that you're prepared for Christmas. And normally when they think in terms of that question, they think, have you got all your uh, gifts purchased, have you got your tree up, the decorations, all those kind of things that we normally think about being ready or prepared for Christmas. But as we've uh, already looked in the last uh, number of weeks, uh, there's another way to prepare for Christmas. In fact, it's the most crucial way to prepare for Christmas is, have you got your heart ready? And for that to be true, you have to know who Jesus is, the Christ of Christmas. You've got to be waiting for um, His coming again and looking uh, back to when He came the first time and looking forward to when He comes again. And then as we uh, saw today, um, speaking with and praying about that, which is most important. Well, this morning we're going to be preparing uh, for Christmas uh, as we look at God's Word. And as we prepare for that, I, I just also want to recognize that I'm prepared for Christmas because how could anybody not be prepared for Christmas and wear a tie like this? All right, this is, this is an advertisement for our life groups. If you get in a life group, you might go to a Christmas uh, life group celebration and you might get this as one of the white elephant gifts. Um, I'm going to re-gift that next year. So if you come to our groups, no. Um, afterwards, if you really want to see how great a tie this is, if you push it, it lights up and plays a song. So uh, anyway, I uh, hope, uh, hope you're ready for Christmas, but even more so after today, we pray that you might really uh, be ready and prepared for Christmas. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we do ask as we look in your word that you might speak to us, that we might uh, really settle down and um, be focused on what uh, this season is all about. And whether we hear familiar themes this morning or whether they're kind of new to us, we recognize that it only really works in our lives if we put it into practice. And Father, these are all doable things that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, They're challenging in so many different ways. Um, But Father, we just really pray that we might meet with you this day. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have your outlines this morning. You'll be seeing some things uh, very simply as we look at uh, some things God has for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. We'll be kind of just uh, laying down there that passage uh, for, uh, for today as well as uh, next Lord's Day as we think about preparing for Christmas and as Brandon was sharing with us, also preparing for after Christmas. As you think about Christmas, and we talked about last week that in many ways, uh, Christmas is, is a, uh, a, a season in which people look forward to and some people dread, uh, depending upon what's been happening in their lives or what has happened in the past in their extended family or friendship uh, circles in terms of people and what has happened to them and what they'll be experiencing or not experiencing because uh, maybe loved ones are no longer here. And, and as we think about that, often Christmas is a time in which emotionally we're on a roller coaster. We kind of go up high and then we kind of... Brought down, we're up high, and then we're brought down, and and we're we're sometimes looking for that experience of Christmas past. Have you ever kind of gone down that memory lane? Maybe there's some special Christmases when you were growing up, or or maybe when you were um, at a particular stage in life, and it was almost magical, or at least that which that's what your memories are about that. And you're wondering, is there any way to recapture that? Well, I want you to know that that challenge of being prepared for Christmas has always been here. And sometimes we'll even look back nostalgically at 
at the scriptures and, and look at period in times when Jesus was here or, or other periods of time in the Old Testament where God was doing miraculous things. And we, <laughs> I wish I was there when that happened. Wouldn't, wouldn't I sense God's presence and wouldn't I love him more and be more convinced that he really is who he claims to be if I was just there? We, we need to understand that even during those times, they, they were going to the roller coasters of life. And that is particularly true in terms of that first Christmas. So much so that 400 years before Jesus arrived on the scene, God said to Malachi, I want you to know that I'm going to send a messenger. And the reason I'm going to send a messenger is he needs to prepare the way for that first Christmas. And it wasn't about doing the things that so much occupy a lot of our time. And there's nothing wrong with those things that occupy our time unless that's all is our focus and it's the primary focus. And I'm talking about putting up the tree and sending out the cards and doing the decorations and the baking and the wearing of crazy clothes or whatever it might be. But are we ready spiritually? You know, as you you look at all of God's work in the lives of people down from the very beginning... We've been on a roller coaster ride with God. It, it all started perfect. So, was there any time we'd go back to a nostalgic time? It would have been the very beginning, at the time of Adam and Eve. At that particular time, it was not not only good; it was very good, and there was nothing that was wrong. But Adam and Eve did what any of us would have done at that time, because we have a tendency to drift away from God. They chose to rebel against God and and, and look for something else. And ever since that time, God's people, as God has reached out to us, we have either received him or rejected him. That was true with Adam and Eve. And, and then even at that moment, God promised that the only way that would be brought back to him is he would have to send the promised one. And when we think about Christmas, and if we were using maybe... Jewish language, we'd say Messiah must, because they were looking for the Messiah, the Christ. It's basically Hebrew and Greek there. There was a roller coaster anticipation and preparation for him. Adam, Adam and Eve and their offspring didn't do well, and so God had to almost start all over with Noah. And then Noah got off the boat, and it wasn't long before his old family began to disintegrate and, and everything went wrong again. And then God decided, I'm going to start with a, a particular people. And he called out Abraham. And, and God began the covenant relationship with a people that were to be a light to the rest of the people in the world so they could really see God working through people. And, and that's really how the light of the message of Christ, the message of the Messiah, has been portrayed throughout all of history is, he, is that God shows himself through the people that he has created and made and, and changed and transformed. But there was a roller coaster experience with even Abraham. I mean, he even lied twice about his wife, not calling Sarah his wife, but his sister. <laughs> he was so afraid that God wouldn't come through. And then finally God came through with, with the promise that he had given Abraham, and he had a child. And then you had Isaac and Jacob. And you know, the only story about Jacob, Jacob was not the most prominent individual who always walked down the straight and narrow path. And then there came the 12 sons, and you look at the 12 sons of, of, of Jacob, you, you look at that and you go, well, you know, uh, maybe, maybe two of them turned out okay, but the other 10 were horrible. And, and, and Joseph was a bright light, and he brought them out of, 
out of a place of famine into a, a place where God provided in the land of Egypt. But it wasn't long for 400 years they were now in bondage. God raised up someone to rescue them in Moses. And, and initially, even as Moses began to lead them out, they weren't so sure they wanted to follow him. And, and then God came through and, and delivered them part of the Red Sea. And they were, they were, they were set free from a, an experience of slavery. But, but they weren't long on the journey to the promised land. And they began to, to wish they could go back to Egypt because they didn't like the cuisine. <laughs> the food didn't come quite to their, their place of, of expectation. And they were wondering if God was going to provide. And God provided. And, and then they went on the journey again. And then they got to the promised land. And then they realized it wasn't going to be easy. And, and for some of us, as we think about being prepared for Christmas or prepared for what God wants to do in our lives, our expectations are if we follow after God, now it's going to be easy. It has never been easy. Because we live in a fallen world. And, and we have battlefronts. The Bible says we have an enemy, an unseen enemy the evil one, Satan and all his dominions. We, we have a world that wants to press us toward another way of living. And we have our own flesh, which has a desire to go after our own selfish wants. And, and so when they got to the promised land, they said, I don't know if we want to get in there. It might not be very easy to conquer that land. And so God sent them on a 40-year wilderness ride. And then you had Joshua be raised up after that. And even Moses, who was the greatest leader ever uh, at that time that had ever been used of God to change people's lives, and, and he didn't qualify to get in the promised land. God didn't abandon him, but some of the blessings that he could have experienced because he didn't trust God caused him to be kept out of the land in which God had promised his people. And then even, even when they got to the promised land, they, they, they sort of completed the task, but they didn't, they didn't go all the way. And because of that, they had, they had challenges throughout their time in, in the place that we call the Holy Land today. And then there was the period of Judges. And if you, all you have to do is read the, the book of Judges, and you see how much of a roller coaster experience it can be with God. When they obeyed God and trusted God, God blessed. And when they didn't obey God and didn't trust God, they, they received the, the natural consequences of the rebellion against God. And all through this time, God was saying, I'm going to send you one. I'm going to send you one that's going to change everything. And so all the sacrifices and all the religious ritual that God gave them was to point toward the one who we celebrate at Christmas. But it didn't even end there. They wanted to follow after like the, the nations of that world. And so, they, so they, they wanted a king. And then they had Saul. And then they had David. And they had Solomon. And then they had all the rest of the kings after that. And they, they began to realize that an earthly ruler was not the answer. And sometimes even in America, we think that's the greatest hope. If we could get just the right person in the White House or in every branch of government, then everything would be awesome here in America or wherever we live. And it's never going to be in a human being. But they had that hope. But then God gave them again an object lesson that if you follow after your own ways, then, then you will not have an intimate relationship with me. And so they had 70 years of exile brought back to the land. And then they compared back to how it used to be, the glory years. And there was no, it was nothing like that. And so they went through, again, periods of, of darkness more than light. And then you have the last book that's recorded for us in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. 
And at that point in the, in the period of time where God was directly working with the people of Israel, God said, I'm going to be silent. And for 400 years, they did not hear a word from the Lord, a, a new word from the Lord. They had all that God had already revealed, but they had 400 silent years. And, and I paint this picture, wanted to give you an overview of all the Old Testament. We just went through 39 books in the Old Testament is now we arrive at the scene in which God is now going to prepare the way for them to be prepared for Christmas. But I want us to always understand it's going to be a struggle. It has always been a struggle. And we, we need to keep it simple to understand, okay, so God, what do you want from me? What is it truly that will always make me prepared for what you want to do next in my life and not only my life but my loved one's lives and 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 my life doing life together with God's people and how do you want me to really prepare be prepared as I think about Christmas well I, I think we can learn from that that first Christmas and, and we're going to look at a, an author this morning who is often not talked a whole lot about you know as you look at the book of uh of uh the Holy Writ here. Um, it is a rather large book. There's 39 individual books in the Old Testament. And there's 27 books in the New Testament. And, and there are a variety of authors written over 1,500 years, over 40 authors, 39, 40 authors. And, and uh, some got to write a little bit more than others. And often when we think of the New Testament, we think Paul wrote more than anybody else. Well, he wrote more individual parts, but probably if you count the words, uh, there was a person who wrote more than even the Apostle Paul. And he was unique in many ways because... Uh, as I tell many people, I have a, have a neighbor that I've become good friends with, and I always tell him, I said, uh, he's Jewish, and I said, all my favorite people in the world are Jewish. You know, and he said, really? And I go, yeah, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the Apostle Paul, Steve Morris. No, anyway, so you know, all, the, all the people that I care about the most are Jewish, all right? Well, uh, Luke is the only non-Jewish writer, a Gentile, uh, in the New Testament. And combining his two-volume work, you had Luke 1 and Luke 2. Luke 2 is normally known as Acts. You have the history of Jesus, and then you have the history of the church as it began. And Luke wanted us to understand things clearly. So if you look at Luke chapter 1, skipping the first couple verses, he says, in verse 3, it seemed good to me... Also having perfect understanding of all things from the very first, he had been there from the beginning, had watched all that was going on. He was a close companion to Apostle Paul. He said, to write an orderly account, and he says, to most excellent Theophilus, which might have been a title of a government authority, that you may know the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. And I read that couple verses in the beginning of this, this writing of the life of Jesus is that God wants us to know with clarity about how this all came to be. This is, this is not some Charles Dickens story, a beautiful story, but not true, um, you know, made up. Maybe had some, some experiences in the Charles Dickens story that looked like a lot of other people's experience, but this actually happened. And Luke is an historian. He wrote down things that, under the inspiration of God, to make it accurate, of things that really happened and and makes an implication from the past to our present to our future. And really what he speaks here in the beginning, he speaks about the life that was to come. 
the life that was to come that we celebrate every December 25th. And it's the story of Jesus. But what I want to look at it this morning is to look at the story of Jesus as, as people were prepared for Jesus to come. Or to take the message title this morning, to, to prepare people for Christmas. And, and we're going to see it in, in the lives of a, of a couple people this morning. And in case I spend too much time, like I've done, I've done in my introduction, let me just give you what I'm going to say, all right? How, how can we be prepared for Christmas? Uh, I submit to you that, and I've been kind of just allowing this to resonate in my, my life this week, by, by doing four things. Number one, by, by choosing, I, I guess these are all choices, to choose to, to live righteously. I'm going to talk about what that means. And if we don't, if you, if you tune out for the next three points, make sure you listen to the first point, all right? By living righteously, secondly, by serving faithfully, third, by praying habitually, and we talked about that already this morning, and by helping spiritually. But the first is fundamental. If we're going to be prepared for Christmas, there's a way we've got to live. And there's so many things we do during this season. And I just listed a few of them as we began. I mean, there's so many decorations to put up. There's so many, well, I didn't bake it, but there's so many cookies to make. There's so many cookies to eat. All right. There, there's so many places to go. There's so many great thing, opportunities to be involved in. But we've got to choose to live righteously. Well, let's pick it up here. Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And then we're going to look at the key passage to begin with. And they were both what before God? Righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And then you have just kind of a commentary of these people who were righteous and obedient but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Now, we're, we're going to pick up that theme later on in terms of a, a key thing for us to, to really focus on, not only this Christmas, but every Christmas, if we're really prepared or ready for Christmas. But in those days, particularly with the Jewish people, if you were in a married relationship and you had no child, and particularly had no male child, their conclusion wasn't simply uh, biological, that you're, somehow there's an infertile situation going on in one of your two bodies, and that makes you incapable of giving birth, or whatever reason, um, in terms of by choice or whatever, you don't have a child. They looked at it as something was wrong with you. Like, now, whose sin is it? Is it the husband's sin or the wife's sin because they have no child? Because the blessing of Kyle of, the, of God was to be was to be fertile, to, to multiply, and to, to have an heir to your family, to keep the name going, and so they looked forward to having family, having children and kids. And here you have this this couple who God describes as righteous and blameless, and yet everyone else kind of looked at them and said, "There's got to be something what with them, wrong with them." But what we see at this first Christmas is that God picked out this couple as a couple that truly was prepared for Christmas. 
you know, those who, who were really tuned in to what God was doing, and as we wait, we wait now for the second coming, but they were waiting for the first coming. You know, the, the last word from Malachi was that the messenger, the messenger, there was a messenger for the messenger. And, and they would go to prayer and they say, is, is, this, is this the year in which the Messiah will come? And Zacharias and Elizabeth were prepared for that day because God described them as righteous and blameless before him. But I want you to understand, it, it, it was true back then and it's true today. They were righteous, not because they were better than anybody else. They, they, were, they were righteous not because they never messed up and they never doubted and they never made the wrong choice in terms of following after God. And, and actually, we might see a little bit of that next week, but Zacharias, after God does something miraculous in him and his family, he doubted so much that God says, okay, you, don't, you doubt me? I'm going to make you silent. You can't say anything. Sometimes in my family, they pray that might happen from God to me already. But, you know, I, they, they, God shut up the priest because he didn't trust him for a moment. So, so his righteousness had nothing to do with never failing to believe and trust God for something in his life, even a, even a verbal expression of God directly to him. But he was made righteous like anybody and everybody who's ever been made righteous. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says this about Abraham. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, from, from one who, in his undergraduate years, studied accounting, that, that's, my, that's my degree, is in accounting. That was my emphasis as a business administrator. This, this idea of being accounted for righteousness is an accounting term. It says what God has done in our ledger is he said, you are now righteous. He's declared us as one who has all the funds we need to pay for any of the sins we've ever committed. Because we have God's account in our account. See, both Zacharias and, both Elizabeth, and, and, and his wife Elizabeth had come to the point where they were righteous in God's eyes, not because they were better than anybody else, but at a point in their life, they chose to believe in the true and one and only God and put their trust that the, the sacrifice that was pictured in all the animal sacrifices that was to point to the Messiah that they were praying that was to come was sufficient for all of their sins to be forgiven. I want to share with you a couple other verses just that emphasizes that. In Isaiah chapter 61, this is a great passage. Isaiah 61 uh, it talks about uh, how God looks at us when he does something in our life. Isaiah 61.10 says this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Now, why, why is this, this writer so joyful? Because of this. For he, God, has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know, if there's any time where people kind of dress up, it's usually at weddings, all right? They're, they're pretty well decked out, and the people are supposed to be decked out the best are the, the bride and the groom. And he says, as I look at God, I'm so filled with joy. Why? Because I'm so much better than anybody else? No. Because God has chosen to clothe me with his righteousness. 
One of my all-time favorite verses in the, in the New Testament is, He made Him, this is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is a gift from God. And if you want to be righteous and blameless before God, it demands one response on your part and my part. And that response, we come to the point and say, I am not worthy of being forgiven by God. There is nothing I can do to merit uh, what God demands, which is perfection and sinlessness. But I will cry and ask for mercy upon my life and, and receive that which only He can give, which is forgiveness and be declared righteous in His eyes. See, none of us will be prepared for Christmas. No matter how fun it is with the kids, how much... How much uh, food that's around and how beautiful the lights are if, if we aren't right with God. And we are right with God simply by responding in faith and say, God, forgive me of all my sin. You know, that passage we're in Isaiah, let me read this passage. Isaiah chapter 53, which is the passage that speaks about the one who was to come. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and equated with grief. This is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. And we, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And then Isaiah 53, 6. All of us are like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reason that Zacharias was righteous was not because of him. It was because of Jesus. It was because of the promises that were made in the past that were going to be kept during Zacharias' time, that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice, the payment for all the sins. So we are made righteous by faith. You know, people are zealous for God in so many different ways, but that zealousness can be on their own merits before God. I've got to give you one more passage. In Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, Paul said this about Israel. And you could insert not only Israel, but anyone else who follows after a way to get to God somehow on their own. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. You know, some people who are just more religious than God himself, I mean, I mean they're just like, they're like fanatic. And, and you're almost put to shame because look at all the things they do, and it's the name of God. They're zealous. But Paul says of, of his people, and he was one of them who did all those things as well. For I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And then he says this, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness, to everyone who believes. And Romans 5 says, for we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and therefore we have peace with him. The only way to be prepared for Christmas is to be right with God. If you're, if you're not right with God, you're not ready for Christmas. And the, and the great news is anyone can be right with God. Anyone can be right with God. 
But they've got to come to that point where they humble themselves before him and say, God, I, I can't do it on my own. I can never do it on my own. I can't continue on it, and I cannot begin on it unless you give me your righteousness. Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God because they had received his gift. Now, quickly. They were also not only right with God and therefore prepared for Christmas. That was to come. It hadn't come yet. It was coming. But they were also prepared for Christmas, and God was going to use them. They were going to be the parents, in case you don't know the rest of the story, they were going to be the parents of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, who was prepared the way for Jesus. So they were right integral part of the story. You might wonder why I'm picking them out. But they were picked because they were righteous before God. Secondly, also because they served faithfully. And here's some interesting things about this is the life of Zacharias. But Zacharias, look at, look at verse 8. And it was that while he was serving as priest, so that's the idea of serving, he was serving as priest, uh, before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, it, it, to be prepared for Christmas, you've got to be part of God's family. But if you're part of God's family, then God wants you to live that out in, in honor of Him and appreciation for all He's done for you. And, and, and so Zacharias was righteous by faith, but then he, he desired to live it out, and so he served God. Now, he served God in a very specific area. He served as a priest, and a priest was one, particularly in those days, we don't really have technical, uh, not in the same way they had in the Old Testament. I'm not considered a priest for you. You don't have to come to me to get to God. You can go to God directly. You don't have to hear from God by coming to me. You can hear God directly out of his word. I, I have a role as far as being a leader in God's church, but I'm not any more of a priest than you are. In fact, the Bible says that we are a priesthood of believers. Each one of us is a priest because we can go directly to God. But in that day and age, he was one uh, who was called to be a representative of the people to God. And he did it faithfully. And again, I want to say he did it faithfully because there was many reasons why he could have said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this gig up. And you know why? Because he had many, many, many years. It said he, was, he and his wife had, were advanced in years. And he had, other than praying for the Messiah to come, he had one personal prayer request he had asked for God for. What? That he could have a child. And every year God had said what? No. And often when we choose not to serve faithfully, it's because something's gone wrong, right? We're, we're kind of disappointed. We're, 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 our heart is broken, it, whatever it might be. And, and there's, we can, there's many reasons to stop, isn't it? But Zacharias didn't stop. And, and because he didn't stop, God gave him such a privilege and opportunity. It, it, it's a fascinating story about the, the priesthood in that day. There were thousands of them because they, had, they represented God in all these little places in terms of synagogues and, and did ministry to people. And twice a year, they would be called from wherever they were serving to go into Jerusalem and, and do some temple activity uh, as a more elevated priest in terms of the, the gathering of all of God's covenant people or the majority that were now living in Jerusalem. And, and there was one opportunity that they possibly could have. In the thousands of priests, uh, there was an opportunity to once go into the Holy of Holies. Many of the priests never got that privilege. On this particular moment, Zacharias, by lot, which means they just picked him out of a hat, got to do what he probably thought he never would 
had the privilege of doing, but go into the Holy of Holies. I don't have time to describe the whole temple area, but this is a place where uh, you met particularly with God and you represented the people to God. And, and I'm sure as he, was, he had this privilege, and this is where God revealed himself to the angel to him and directly spoke about his, his part in the whole Christmas story. But the reason that happened for him, because he hadn't quit. He had chosen to serve God faithfully. Now, we're going to have some bumps in our road as we live out our Christian faith, but he calls us to, to be there, to be the ones that can be counted on, even when life gets difficult. And Zacharias was there, and he served God faithfully. How to be prepared for Christmas? <laughs> Live righteously by being righteous, by receiving God's gift of righteousness. And, and then as a, a result of your relationship, say, God, well, what do you want me to do? In, in many ways, none of us are going to be called to be the priest like Zacharias, but whatever God calls you to do, do it. And do it faithfully. And do it joyfully. And do it not depend upon any other circumstances that are around you. Just, just be there to be God's representative. But you could also look in the life of Zacharias and you could say, and we've already kind of alluded to this, but, but pray habitually. In verse 11 it says this, then, And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And again, this is one of the reasons why I think you know, a lot of people have the whole angel story wrong. They've got these really frilly little girls and they look so cute. And you know, look at it. Every angel that I know that, re that revealed himself to, to mankind, they were, all feared with, with, they were all filled with fear. And I haven't, most of those representations of angels that I see, man, aren't, they aren't fear fearful at all. I mean, they, I mean, they're kind of cute and you kind of whatever. But they aren't. And God represented himself to Zacharias and fear overwhelmed him. But there was a word from this angel. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, implied in this particular account is that you know, this is a prayer that Zacharias and Elizabeth had kept praying. Now, we, we have no assurance, and they had no assurance, that this prayer was going to be answered in the affirmative. And yet they kept praying. We have the story of actually Hannah. I was looking that up in, in, in Samuel where Hannah prayed desperately for a child and, and God answered that prayer. But let's be honest. Not every barren couple that prayed to God for a child back then as well as today always gets that prayer answered in the affirmative. And, and that's heartbreaking. But God answered. God hears every prayer. And God's provision will be for every family and for every individual that cries out to Him. But we express faith to God when we don't, we don't give up on God. And we come to Him habitually. That's a pattern of our life. And I would, I would just say this to all of us. In our preparations for Christmas, how much of it is spent talking to the Christ of Christmas? I've said before, there's only two types of prayers that we can pray. Short prayers and long prayers. 
Short prayers are prayers you pray throughout the day. And do that. Just throughout the day, have a conversation with God. That's a great way to connect with God. And long prayers, I don't mean you're standing up in a public way and saying a lot of words. I mean, that's simply a time where you maybe sit down or stand up and it's just prayer. You know, when you're praying throughout the day, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. You know, you've got to still function. But, but, you know, longer prayers simply maybe having a time a day where it's just you and God and you're praying, talking with Him. That was the experience of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They prayed and, and God came through. Make this Christmas and every Christmas and every season throughout the year a time where you pray. You talk with God. You take advantage of that privilege. And then finally, how do you prepare for Christmas? Live righteously. Serve faithfully. Pray habitually. And help people spiritually. You know, before we, before we get off on helping people spiritually, it's interesting how, how God sometimes has a sense of humor at least I kind of take it this way. You know what Zacharias' uh, name means? It means God remembers. And the reason I remember that, one of the books we had to translate in Hebrew when I was in seminary was the book of Zechariah. And it's, the whole book is about God remembering. In fact, when I was in that class, it, the, it was a, there was a professor named Charles Feinberg who was a Hebrew scholar, and he wrote a commentary on Zacharias. Zechariah, and we definitely had to know that book well, but I digress. Okay. Can you imagine being a person that, that prayed faithfully for many, many years, decades, and, and, and you're praying for one, one that seems to be a legitimate request. Can we just have one child? I don't care if we have 15, but just give us one. And, and your name is God remembers, and you're thinking, God doesn't remember, he what? He forgets. Why'd you call me God remembers? You seem to be forgetting my request. God never forgets. God remembers. God will come through, not necessarily the way that you're anticipating, but God will come through. And what he gave them was a boy that they were to name John, which was, which was, a, which was a strange name for them because no one in their family was named John. And, and the name John simply means basically God's gift or God is gracious. But the uniqueness thing about this child is this would be a child that would be the, the model example about being filled with spirit and helping people spiritually. Uh, look at, real quickly, verses 15 and, um, through 17. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. They were, and particularly John was, <laughs> prepared to be the preparer for Christmas so that we could see the, the model for being prepared for Christmas by being a person from the very beginning who was filled under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so as we, as we think of all the ways to be ready for Christmas and be prepared for Christmas, and there's a lot of fun things we can do. Uh, I think my wife has recorded every Hallmark Christmas music uh, movie ever made, all right? 
we could watch those for 10 more years, all right? Uh, and it's, you know, it's nice to, listen, to watch cute little stories about Christmas and whatever it might be. Yeah. But as you're filled with the sounds of Christmas and the sights of Christmas and the smells of Christmas, all the great food being prepared, and that's all, you know, awesome. We need to be also under the influence of the Spirit. And it gets real practical what that will look like. If we're under the influence of the Spirit, we'll be like John, desiring and doing whatever we can to help other people be prepared for Christmas. See, he, he wanted to help people to turn their hearts back to God. The same word actually is used for an Acts for people who came to true faith in Christ. And, and so this Christmas, you know, who's on your list? I don't mean your Christmas card list or your list in terms of gifting or even invitations to a party or for food uh, at your house. And that, that's, again, that's all great. But who's on your list that you're praying for, that you want to get an opportunity to either invite to a Christmas event or the opportunity to share your testimony or pray that for them to take another step to, to knowing the Jesus of Christmas? See, we're left here for those who know the true meaning of Christmas so that we can influence others. Who's on your list? Have you had an opportunity? I had an opportunity this week in a number of different ways just to talk to people about the Christ of Christmas. Nothing, nothing elaborate but just saying a word here and a word there. Who's on your list? This morning... Are you prepared for Christmas? For some of you, you got to get to step one, don't you? You're, you're still on the outside looking in, and you've never made that commitment. Or, or maybe you've done it recently. If you are, we just rejoice with you. But it's coming to that point in your life say, I, I, I need to know the Christ of Christmas. I need to be right with God. And Jesus did it on the cross for us. And then once you cross over that line, then you have the privilege of helping others be prepared for Christmas. Let's pray. Well, all these truths are so simple, and yet so often we forget to consciously choose to, to recognize that we can be right with you, not because of how good we are, but because of how good you are. That, that we have the privilege of, of serving you by being faithful to do whatever we can to be part of your, of, your, of your program in this world. That we have the opportunity to talk with you at any moment, and, and do we take advantage of that? And are we under the power of the Spirit helping other people see Jesus and know Him? Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way, I just invite them just to say, say, Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want to be right with you. And when we really pray that prayer and meet it in our hearts, then by faith, uh, you'll make a difference. And you'll change us on the inside. As we continue to worship, might we just again, just think about how great and awesome a God that would send his son for us. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.